again, we'll go through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just the first 11 verses today, especially touching on verses 1 through 8. We'll read them together. <laughs> Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I see that, say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Lord Jesus, in this passage concerning litigation, brother against brother, taking each other to court, what in the world could that have to do with us today? Lord, you know. This is your word, and it's for us today, and I pray that you would just equip us, change us, convict us of sin where we've fallen short in this area. Lord, just can change our country through what you would do in us today, and be glorified, God. As we go through this chapter of 1 Corinthians, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> a German bank robber was arrested recently after a teller realized this robber was hard of hearing, so she tripped the alarm. According to the Chicago Sun-Times, the robber is now suing the bank for exploiting his disability. A woman in Israel is suing a TV station and its weatherman for $1,000 after he predicted a sunny day and it rained. The woman claims the forecast caused her to leave home lightly dressed. As a result, she caught the flu, missed four days of work, spent $38 on medication, and suffered stress. A surfer recently sued another surfer for taking his wave. The case was ultimately dismissed because they were unable to put the price on the pain and suffering endured by watching someone else ride the wave that was intended for you. <laughs> A college student in Idaho decided to moon somebody from his fourth floor dormitory window. He lost his balance, fell out the window, and injured himself in the fall. Now the student expects the university to take the fall. He is suing them for not warning him of the dangers of living on the fourth floor. <clears throat> and this is where it gets real. This is where it comes home to the text this morning. A minister and his wife sued a guide dog school for $160,000 after a blind man learning to use a seeing eye dog stepped on the woman's toe. She sought $80,000 for medical bills 
pain and suffering, humiliation and disability. Her husband sought the same amount for loss of his wife's care, comfort, and consortium. Corinth was located in the region of Greece. The Greeks were known, much like us, for frivolous lawsuits. See you in court. You've been served was a common expression of their day. I need a lawyer. Went right along with it. The Corinthians were a sue-happy people beyond all reasonable doubt. McDonald's hot coffee didn't stand a chance. You've heard of babies having babies? Well, here we have brothers suing brothers. In chapter 6, the Corinthian Christian brothers were suing each other. Now, the whole book of of Corinthians is, is about carnal Christianity. Christians that are living according to their flesh, giving in to their sinful appetites. In chapter 1, we see that clickiness and sectarianism is sin. Denominationalism is sin. In chapter 2, we see reliance on worldly wisdom rather than on the spirit and power of God is sin. Chapter 3 shows us that sectarianism and worldly wisdom together is sin. Chapter 4 tells us that the Corinthians were puffed up as if they had arrived wanting no parts in the sufferings of the apostles. And chapter 5 tells us that the Corinthians were prideful about allowing sexual sin to continue on in the church. Here in chapter 6, we see that that carnality goes on where there's litigation happening brother against brother. And we see in verse 1, as Paul says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous or before the heathen and not before the saints? Paul says, How dare you? This word dare implies treason against the brotherhood. Literally, Paul is saying you would have the audacity to take your brother before a heathen court. Paul was, if you will, appalled at their testimony. Thank you. The problem here. The problem is Christians having grievances with one another and taking each other to a court of this world. Now even the Jews in the Talmud, it says any place where you find uh, heathen law courts, even though their lot is the same as the Israelite law, you must not resort to them. And the rabbis would say, if the statute, uh, it is a statute that binds all Israelites, but if one Israelite has a cause against another, It must not be brought before the Gentiles. So even the Jews had a similar understanding. The Phillips translation of the same verse says, When any of you has a grievance against another, aren't you ashamed for bringing the matter to settlement before a pagan court instead of before the church? They've forgotten the principle laid out in Matthew chapter 18, which we'll get to in just a little bit. But going on, Paul says in verse 2, Don't you know? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? By Paul to say, do you not know? And it's a phrase that he's going to say about six times in this chapter. Don't you know? He's saying, what? That's what he's saying. What? 
such surprise that the knowledgeable Corinthians, I mean, this whole chapter, these whole books, this whole book has been the Corinthians bragging about how knowledgeable they are. And Paul says, don't you, the knowledgeable Corinthians, know that you're going to judge the world? Don't you know that? In the next verse, he's going to say, don't you know you're going to judge angels? Do you know what kind of viewpoint that is that Paul has? It's called an eschatological viewpoint. Paul is looking to eternity. He's realizing what the end of it all is going to be. Similar to Jonathan Edwards, one of the great awakening preachers, who resolved to live every day at all times with the things of eternity always on his mind and heart. One of our uh, elders uh, said the other day, I want to live as if eternity is tattooed on my eyelids. And that's what Paul, I know it's disgusting, don't do that. Um, <clears throat> every time you blink, you're just reminded of what's ahead and forgetting. This is temporal. There's an eternity. There's more at stake here. And Paul says that. Don't you realize, although you've got a whole bunch of hubbub going on around here, that you are going to judge the world? In that, he's saying that the saints will rule the world. We see that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, where we see thrones put in place. We see the great judgment happening. We see the ancient of days coming and judgment is made in favor of the saints most high so that the saints might possess the kingdom. What does that mean? It means the saints are going to rule. See that in Revelation chapter 20 during the millennial reign. We'll read that in a second. In Revelation chapter 8 verse 17, we see that we are heirs with Christ. We're heirs with Christ. Not only do we receive all of the blessings that belong to the Son himself, he shares that with us as we're adopted into the family of God. But we also partake of his rulership. We get to rule with the Lord. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, written to one of the seven churches, he who overcomes, Jesus says, and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over all the nations. Did you catch that? If you overcome and keep his words to the end, you will be given power over. Have you thought about that? Has that been on the inside of your eyelids? Like, whoa, what is going to happen one day? It goes way beyond 2013 Prineville, doesn't it? In another letter in Revelation 3.21, uh, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame, Jesus says, and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you realize what Jesus has made available for us? That just as he went to the right hand of the Father and has ascended to sit with him on his throne, so do we who overcome get to sit with Jesus on his throne? Timothy is told if we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And as you look at that Revelation 20 passage, we get to see the end prophesied in Revelation 20 verse 4, where thrones are set up and those that sat on them had judgment committed to them the saints will be judging the world they will rule so knowing that as an end times viewpoint aren't we able to judge and decide these petty little issues that are going on within our community within the church 
Certainly, Paul says. It kind of puts a context behind Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, doesn't it? I mean, don't we hear that thrown around, around so flippantly? I mean, you've heard it. You've said it. Judge not, 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 judge judge. You're judging, don't judge, don't judge. There's more than that verse in the Bible, friends. Because there's a whole lot of judgment going on in the scriptures. Condemnation, not our part. Not our part. But determining things, like we see specifically in this passage, determining these small matters, it's given to us as the saints. Now, the weightiest of earthly questions at issue are small compared to what will be decided on Judgment Day. The toughest thing that we've got going on in our lives, that is nothing compared to saints sitting on the throne judging the nations. Verse 3 tells us, do you not know that we will judge angels? Have you thought of that? Do you know angels are real? Do Do you know that? Do you know fallen angels are real? You might know, I've shared a little bit, that my son's been having night terrors where his eyes are open and he's looking around and he's screaming and covering his ears and don't let it talk to me anymore. And we're finally able to get this week. What are you seeing, son? What are you seeing? I think he's seeing demons. He's a kid that loves Jesus. He's part of a family that is on mission about spreading the kingdom here. Do you think the devil likes that? And I've been trying to like, oh yeah, you're just having a bad dream, son. You know, I'm kind of shaking. (laughs) Lindsay's like holding me. You know, and finally I had to be like, son, angels are real, aren't they? Yeah, they're real. Bad angels are real, aren't they? Yeah, they're real. Son, I think the bad angels are trying to scare you and distract you from what Jesus wants you to become. So here's what we're going to do about it. We're going to fight and we're going to pray. We're going to memorize scripture and we're going to sing this little silly song a thousand times. We did it yesterday morning so that we have something to sing in the middle of the night when it hits the fan and we're terrified. Son, we're going to judge these bad boys. We will judge angels. How much more will we judge things pertaining to this life? Now, angels are by nature the highest class of created beings. The psalmist in Hebrews quotes the psalmist that we as men were made a little lower than the angels. And we little lower will judge those angels. I believe it's speaking of the bad angels. Angels. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into change of darkness to be reserved for judgment, they're waiting for judgment day. And some of them are out there and they're trying to destroy with their ruler, the, the devil, Satan, the slanderer, the serpent of old. They didn't keep their proper domain, Jude verse 6 tells us, but they left their own abode. And he reserved them in chains, everlasting chains, for the judgment on the great day. We, saints, will be the ultimate jury. Now think about now. Think about now. This is relevant for today. You are going to court. You're going to court and you're going against Christians. Some of you are divorced or it's on your mind And you're going to go before a divorce court when that can be resolved here. 
That can be determined amongst your brethren who love you and are impartial, and they are about the truth of the word of God. It'll be determined here whether you should even be divorced. You will judge angels. Christians, don't you know who you are? Do you know who you are? John Piper recently, I listened to a sermon on prayer by him, and he referenced this passage that you will judge angels, and and it's about prayer. He says this, It is simply staggering that God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, would ordain that prayer cause things. They do. Prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if you did not pray. And then he says, I wonder if there are any Calvinists out there squirming in their seats. Funny, he's a Calvinist. If you do not avail yourself of the privilege of bringing to pass events in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, you are acting like a colossal fool, aren't you? I'm just thinking logically here. If you are offered the privilege of communing with God in such a way that your request could bring into being that that would not otherwise come into being, not to avail yourself of that privilege is folly of the highest or lowest order. That is why we pray, Piper says. And then listen to this. God is beckoning us to share in the running of the universe. Do you not know you will judge angels? Do you not know you are a child of God? Do you know who you are, Christian? Then what is this taking each other to pagan courts? It's happening 2013. It's happening in Prineville. It's happening in Oregon. It's happening in Calvary Chapel amongst the leaders of this great movement. Have we gotten away from the word of God? Don't preach on that litigation between Christians. Give us something else. Something that will make the back of my neck tingle. It should tingle. Because if you're not here this week, you'll be here in a year where you'll be considering taking somebody to court. Or a year after that. Or five years from now. You need to be equipped today in the scriptures of the living God. And we look forward to this day when we will judge the nations and we look forward to this day when we will judge angels and I'll get to put the smack down on those guys that terrified my son at night. Then why in the world are we settling issues of lesser concern among the heathen courts? We can't even settle the trivial matters of this life. Why don't we do it? Because we're afraid of church discipline. We're afraid of confronting each other. It's painful. It's difficult. It's unpalatable. It's unacceptable. The world tells us that we have no right to interfere in other people's lives, where the Bible says that we must do this if our house is to be built on the solid rock. Verse 4 tells us, If you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, why do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge. Those who would just use worldly wisdom and what they can see, who have no spiritual discernment whatsoever and do not have eternity written on their eyelids. That's a lot to miss. That's a lot to miss. That's actually bad for your case. Don't go before guys that are looking with limited vision. 
Let me read you some transcripts from actual courtrooms. Here's the question from the, the litigator, the prosecutor. Now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, he doesn't know about it until the next morning? Question. Were you present when your picture was taken? Was it you or your younger brother who was killed in the war? Did he kill you? How far apart were the vehicles at the time of the collision? Hmm. Yes. You were there until to- uh, the time you left. Isn't that true? How many times have you committed suicide? Mm-hmm. She had three children, right? Yes. How many were boys? None of them. Well, how many were girls? <laughs> you say the stairs went down to the basement. Yes. And these stairs, did they also go up? (laughs) Could you describe the individual? Well, he was about medium height and he had a beard. Was this a male or a female? (laughs) Literal transcriptions from courtrooms. And you want to take your case to that? Though the Gentiles were not altogether unjust... Yet in the highest view of justice, which has regard to God being the supreme judge, they are unjust. And Christians, on the other hand, regarding God as the only foundation for justice, should not expect justice from the world. Our dumbest guy in the church is more qualified than the genius of the courts who does not have the spirit of God. I was in a courtroom here in Crook County where someone from our body was being tried and as they were being spoken to by the judge, the judge literally said this. I shouldn't say literally. I shouldn't say literally. I'm trying to remember exactly what she said, but it was along these lines. Well, it's not for me to judge. It was along those lines. And we're taking our, 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 our things before them that, ha- that could be dealt with brother and brother. Now, Paul himself, he appealed to the courts of the world, didn't he, in the book of Acts? We see that he appealed to Caesar, but this was not on terms regarding brothers, all right? These were external matters, external courts. There are times when the divorce is taking place, it's against your will, you've got to go before the courts of this world. And praise God, Romans uh, 13 and uh, other passages, they tell us that these authorities have been placed there by God to take care of us. It's true. What we're talking about today is brother against brother, seeking to defraud one another. And when it's happening, verse 5, Paul says, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who would be able to judge between his brethren? Paul says, shame on you. You Corinthians were so prideful thinking you were so spiritual, proud of your spirituality, but there's not one of you that could judge these things? I was thinking this week, and I'm like, you know what? The people that are members of this church, as much as we have a membership, if they had this bad boy in front of them, I'd say, go for it. Go Bring the godly counsel. Use the scripture. Pray. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. 
That's what Paul's saying here. The least among you could do it. Don't you have one person smart enough who could handle this? Who knows the word of God enough? Who's sensitive enough to the spirit that they could tackle this issue? Even the Romans in the scripture would say, hey, this is an external, this is an internal matter among your own faith. Why are you coming to us? The Jews would take very few things to external courts. If you read the book of Exodus in chapter 18, you see that Moses would spend from morning until night judging the people, all of the matters between them. And his father-in-law Jethro said, what are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. Why don't you distribute this out? You you appoint other judges, and that way there's guys over tens and over hundreds, over thousands, and then the big stuff can come to you. Judge it among yourselves. Do you think at all that in our core groups, this type of thing can be happening? As we're getting together to pray and to worship, and we share just crud that's going on in our life, and the men and the women that are seeking together to be disciples and to be owned by the word of God, that they could say, hey, let me share this into your life. Do you see how you're being sinful here? Do you see how you're being selfish here? Do you see how you need to die to self here? Do you see how you need to pray here? Things like that will bring correction to things that would normally take off to the courtroom. In verse 6 it says, But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbeliever. Listen to this. Brother, brother, unbeliever, unrighteous. Not a do-gooder. Brother, brother, go before unrighteous. You're taking what should be dealt with among the family, brother, brother, and taking it before the fallen world. This is the witness that you want to show the world. This is your testimony. This is the flavor you want to leave in our society's mouth about what Christians are. And you know that they take it and run with it. They expect us to be different, but they find that you're just like them. You haven't changed. You're no better. You're no more righteous. And then it hits the newspaper, and then it hits Fox News, and then it hits CNN. It hits the media. They take it, don't they? And they run with it. Pastor and his wife sue a seeing eye dog school for 180 grand or whatever it was. What? There's a reason that was in the news. Should a minister be doing that? Now, therefore, it's already an utter failure, verse 7. It's a defeat for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now, what is taking another Christian to court? Suing them, what is suing them? Right here it says it is an utter failure. It's an utter failure. It is a defeat to take one another to court. The Corinthians were far from basic Christian principles. In fact, they were far behind the best of the Greek thought. Plato himself said, it's better to suffer wrong than to do wrong. The Phillips translation of this verse says, it's surely obvious that something must be seriously wrong in your church for you to be having lawsuits at all. Well, Rory, what am I supposed to do? What do you suggest I do? I just say, look at the scriptures, look at this verse. The verse tells you to just accept wrong. 
Tell me one person in history that's ever done that. Jesus? Accepted wrong? What about what Paul says here? Why not rather let yourself be cheated? Jesus? Was that fair? Is that fair that he who knew no sin became sin for you? That you might become the righteousness of God in him? Or do you think that Jesus let himself be cheated? Look to the king of the kingdom and follow after him. Our king of our kingdom said an eye for an eye, or you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Have you ever done that? I haven't. What if we did? If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. What if? What if? What if? Could you imagine? Oh, I'm going to take you to court, buddy. You won't have a house or a car, nothing like that. You're right. It's all yours right now. And take all this stuff too. Smartphone, it's yours. Chapstick, half use, have it. What if? What would that do to our society? I mean, they're going to work the next day. You wouldn't believe this. I was totally going to sue this guy. And he gave me everything he had. And it, I have his chapstick right now. And I used it. It's pretty flavorful. Whoever compels you to go one mile with them, let him go two. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. The king of our kingdom said, take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. What happens in this family life? If your brother sins against him, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you and says, I repent, then forgive him. And the apostles said to Jesus, increase our faith. That's tough stuff. You guys need an increase of faith today? Do you think this would make an impact on our society if we were to heed this? If we were to listen to the writings of the Apostle Paul when he looked to Jesus and he said, hey, you guys, if you've got any comfort in Jesus, anyone here, any comfort? If you've got any consolation in Christ, if you have any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, really, since you have those things, then he says this, be like-minded, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That is a desire to see yourself succeed. Let nothing be done out of that. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than themselves. Is that what happens when we take each other to court? Are you saying, well, you're better than me. Or as Romans says, I prefer you with brotherly love. You're better than me. Preference to you, man. Preference to you. See in court, sucker. I'm going to take everything you've got. It's not, it's not what we see in the scriptures. And then Paul goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who did nothing for his own gain, but laid his life down and died a death, even the most humiliating death of the cross. And because of that, he was exalted. 
You get the wheels stolen off of your car. You're going to go take your brother to the county courthouse so that you can look cherry on your ride? That's what it's worth? That's what it's about? That you would show the world that you're bitter, that you're resentful, that you're prideful, that you've got to get the upper hand on your brother? Your witness is shot. You lose. Even if you win, you lose. A Christian with eternity stamped on their eyelids knows that one day accounts will be settled. Verse 8, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things before your brethren. So what is suing your brethren? It's wrong. What is suing your brethren? It's wrong. There's another word here too. It is cheating. You're cheating your brethren. You're stealing him of his testimony. Far better to lose financially than to lose spiritually. Amen? Far better... Bill was here today. I might got to say some amens in there. Far better to lose emotionally than to lose spiritually. Amen? Make sure you listen to what I say before you say amen. Far better to live as if eternity was a reality and now was just a breath then as if now is the reality and eternity is just a breath. Amen? Amen. That's how the world lives. The world lives as if this is all that matters and there's nothing ahead. Suing your brethren is wrong. It is cheating them. Phillips again, for you cheat him of Christian love and forgiveness. Charles Hodge said, instead of having reached the state of perfection in which you can patiently submit to injustice, you are yourselves unjust and fraudulent. Man, by the Spirit of God in this church, Lord, would you do that? Would you take us to a state of perfection in which we can patiently submit to injustice? As Jesus did when he was accused and tried in every false trial and false witnesses and delivered over to death. Lord Jesus, help us to do that rather than we as Christians being unjust and fraudulent to one another. So what do we do? We submit to the way and the process that the Lord has laid out. When our brother sins against us, we go to our brother, him and me alone. And if he hears me, I've gained a brother. We're talking sin here, okay? If he sins against you, if he doesn't hear you, take two or three, that every word would be established, that everyone understands what's going on. Then take it to the church if he still hasn't heard you, all with the intent of gaining the brother. And if he still doesn't hear, let him be as a heathen and as a tax collector. Whole nother Bible study, church discipline. We've done that study like three times, so get on our website. You can hear it. Leon Morris says, to go to law with a brother is already to incur defeat, whatever the results of the legal process. If we sue each other, we've already lost. Even if you win, you lose. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 says, if you bring your gift to the altar to worship the Lord, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way, First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with them, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Charlie Daniels summarized that verse well. When you're in a bind and you're way behind, you should be willing to make a deal. Litigation of Christians in heathen courts is censored in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Its very existence betrays a wrong spirit in the individual. It is better to bear the wrong now, and hereafter the doers of the wrong shall be shut out of heaven, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say. As Christians suing each other, besides exercising love to all people, we're to exercise love to the brothers. Those in Christ are to have special care for one another. And so the Corinthians who were suing each other were committing a double sin. They weren't loving the world and their witness to the world, and they weren't loving each other in litigation to one another. Now, it's an interesting thing that this passage on suing each other leads into verses 9 to 11. Why would suing each other as Christians lead to, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that is people that are having any sort of sex outside of marriage, no matter what it might sound like, look like, or what name you've given it. Nor idolaters, that is someone who's put anything above a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nor adulterers, that is anyone who has ruined the bond of marriage in the way that God intended it. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Where are we at here? Uh, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, that's like a weird jump, isn't it? Suing each other, homosexuality, suing each other, fornication, suing each other. Guess what? Paul says that if you are in sexual immorality, you are defrauding your brother or sister. You're defrauding them. You are taking advantage of them, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. You are defrauding them, and the Lord is the avenger of all that type of fraud. So, Fraud, litigation between believers, cheating each other, wronging each other, all those words we've looked at this morning, it's in the same camp as sexual immorality. It's in the same camp of murder. It's in the same camp as being a thief or an extortioner. It's that bad. It's evil. It goes against the holiness of God. And two weeks ago in the park, we did a study on verses 9 through 11. I encourage you to listen to it online, going through each one of these heinous sins, these grievous sins against the Lord. But we want to end tonight in verse 11, and we can have the worship team come on up now. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Some of you here today, you've wronged other Christians. You've cheated. You've defrauded somebody. Those of you that have had sex outside of marriage in any way, shape, or form, you have defrauded your brother or your sister or your spouse. 
Those of you that have been thieves and drunkards, extortioners and revilers, angry speech coming out of your mouth, you've sinned against God in such a way that even one time of one of those things, you're condemned to hell, but by the grace of God. The grace of God appears, and all of this is past tense for you. Such were some of you. You've been washed. And I love how the New Testament says we are washed. How are we washed? We are washed and cleansed by the Spirit of God. The moment this one thing happens, what is this one thing called? Being born again. Being born again. Washed by the Spirit of God. Transformed by the Spirit of God. The Old Testament says it beautifully in two different books that I know of, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where God says, I will take out of you this old stony heart that you had that can't even hear God, can't know God, doesn't want to know God, doesn't want to have any part of God, and I will put in you a heart of flesh that beats and is alive and can know God, wants to know God, understands God. A washing has taken place. You've been justified. You're born again. It's the same instant. Justified. The gavel in heaven of the righteous judge slams down and he justifies you. And he sees you just as if you'd never sinned before. Justification, being born again, it happens in a second. Has it happened to you? Have you been born again? It happens the second, the instant. You give your heart to Jesus. You receive Jesus. To those that receive him, First John, or John chapter 1 tells us, he gives you the right to be the children of God. <clears throat> Justification. That moment the gavel slams down in heaven. Then after that begins a lifelong process called sanctification. And we read about it here in verse 11. Where the spirit of God who's dwelling in you just daily, little by little, sets you apart from your old man from being a thief, from being a reviler, from having homosexual thoughts or tendencies. And let's be real, it happens where people are just tempted that way. That's their bent towards sin. Or they're bent towards stealing things. They get a rush out of that. They're bent towards holding things over other people's heads and blackmailing them. And God starts taking that out of you. All of a sudden, you're not cussing as much anymore. All of a sudden, you're serving others and you're loving others. It's what the Spirit of God does in you when you are washed by the Spirit of God. Have you had that happen yet? I want to give you a chance right now. Right now, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Nothing like that. Right now, in your heart, if you know that's you, and you've never been washed by God, you've never been cleansed by God, you have filthy garments on that are tattered and torn, and they smell raunchy because of all the sin you've been a part of, right now, in an instant, you can be washed whiter than snow. And just right now where you're at, just say, Lord, I want that now. I receive that now. I want the gavel to slam down in heaven for me now and say you're innocent because of what my son did for you. And we're going to come forward during this last song. I'm sorry, we're not going to come forward. We're going to do something different today. We're going to have the ushers pass out communion to you. And we're just going to let you just hold the cup for a second and hold the bread for a second. And then we're going to partake together after this song. And while you're holding the bread and the cup, especially those of you that have been washed by Jesus Christ, look at the cup and consider the blood of Jesus and thank God for his blood. 
that he shed that your sins could be forgiven. And hold the bread in your hand and look at it and feel it and consider that the flesh of Jesus Christ was pierced and wounded and broken. And when we drink and when we eat and when you crunch and when it pours down your throat, remember the blood of Jesus that was poured out freely for your sins. And remember the crunching of his flesh and of his bones. Bones weren't broken. He was just beat up really bad. And then that it was for you that you might be washed and cleansed in the name of Jesus this morning. If you're against all of this and none of this, this isn't you, you don't want to be washed, you don't want to be cleansed, you don't want to have anything to do with it, then you still are all of these things here. You're still all of these sins. That's you. And we would ask that you don't partake of communion today. The Bible says that you shouldn't. You'd be drinking judgment upon yourself. But right now where you're at, you can say, no, that is me, and I don't want those things. I want to be cleansed. We're going to close in worship this morning so that we can get you out of here by noon, and we're going to have the ushers come forward and pass out communion. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.